Welcome back to Those Happy Places, the podcast that treats theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. And Alice, guess what? What? (laughs) We are here on the line, online, with uh, two fantastic representatives of PGAV Destinations here to talk to us specifically about the connections between designing themed entertainment and literature itself. Can you believe it? I cannot believe it. It's like the thesis of our show has come to life, and we've got two actual bona fide experts here to talk to us about it. So we're going to let them introduce themselves. I'm April Neal. I've been at PGAV Destinations for a little over 12 years now. My background is actually interior design. That's what I went to school for. And it's a perfect matchup to PGAV because I've studied um, how to make people feel a certain way in a certain space, how to tell stories with materials and props and backgrounds. And it's really like set design, um, you know, being able to tell those stories. Uh, one of my favorite projects that I've worked on here, my very first project, uh, roller coaster theme park project, was Manta at SeaWorld Orlando, where mm. you get to be the ray, ride the ray, um, fly through the air, and dip down in the um, with the water splash. And then my one of my favorite projects is uh, Kennedy Space Center, uh, Atlantis at Kennedy Space Center, as well as several food and beverage um, locations around the campus. Wow, That's really cool. Uh, the that at at Kennedy Space Center they have the space shuttle Atlantis, and uh, I remember seeing the space shuttle Discovery in Los Angeles a few years ago, and how just in awe of that entire exhibit I was. Uh, there's nothing quite like seeing an entire space shuttle. It is so cool. Um, and it, just to just to know that it exists and that it's like right there in front of you. Ah, it's so cool. Ah, I'm losing it. It's really neat. Um, so uh, I'm really excited to hear uh, more of what you have to say about that. Uh, AD, how about you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is A.D. Gladue, and my background is in theater. I'm a director, I'm a playwright, and I have had the pleasure of working around the country in different theaters and in different theme parks. Thank you guys so much for being here. I'm really excited. Alice, are you ready to start jumping into our interview questions? Absolutely. Let's get started with uh, with just a, a, a brief over here. Uh, overview here. Sorry. Um, do theme parks and literature have a unique relationship when compared to other forms of entertainment? Like if you think about, um, say, movies or television shows when compared to books and, and literature, uh, what would you, you say the the what sets theme parks um, apart in their in a unique way? I think, I mean, I think one of the biggest things, and we'll probably get to that over the course of um, our, our time here, it, it's really the end product that becomes the biggest difference, the biggest change. The, um, there's so much that we can deliver in the end product to tell that story. I think in a lot of ways, we're going through the same process that a lot of People who are taking a book to TV or a book to, to screen, I think a lot of those processes are the same. Um, you know, how do you dissect that? Which story do you pick and why? What audience are we trying to get to? What sections of these audience of this audience are we trying to get to? What's the most visually appealing element of the story? You know, sometimes things don't translate very well. 
um, because they're they're better described in words, but some things translate super well visually. And so how do you pull those things out where somebody can get it visually with maybe out any words at all? Um, and how do we leverage the real world experience to do things that the book can't, right? So what are the elements that we get from being in the real world? What are the uh, tools and technologies that we can use that make some of those things come to life in a way that you might not have imagined them in a book? Yeah, I I agree with April. And, you know, for me, theater, I mean, uh, theme parks and literature, they really do go hand in hand. And that's me personally, because I always turn to books. Uh, I, I use books for every day for so much inspiration in my life. Every compelling book I read, it, it inspires me in some way. It, it, they, they find their way in, into my work, you know, in a concept, in an image, in a, you know, just a soulful experience that I gain from reading. And that's how it pulls in through me. When I, when I think of literature, you know, it, it all comes out of storytelling. And storytelling is like back in caveman days. It's also around a fire. It's, you know, some person saying like, I hunted a wildebeest. It was this big. And <laughs> Like they're just dying to tell all their tell their community that? about it. Wasn't it wasn't that big. No, it wasn't was this big. It was this big. You know, and we've got this whole we have a whole science now. We you know we understand more about why we tell stories. You know, like we're we're trying to find ourselves. We're we're trying to make meaning out of chaos. You know, it's storytelling is a way to understand each other. And humans, we're we're so fortunate that we evolved with the ability to permanently record our stories so we can continue to share them. We can you know, hear voices from the past and voices from other places. One of my favorite stories to tell, this is a really weird, um, specifically sort of tourism-y, uh, nerdery thing, is I, I like to um, work on a lot of food and beverage retail, um, some of the ancillary experiences. And one of the things that um, I learned not too long ago was that the modern day gift shop is um, it, it's something that was started, at least you can trace it back in the United States, back to the Daughters of the Revolution. And when they bought um, Washington's estate to preserve it, because they saw that, you know, we need to keep this. We need to keep this for future generations and preserve our history. But they noticed that people would just take whatever they wanted from the estate. They'd just hammer off a piece of the staircase and they'd cut down limbs off of a tree. And this is the kind of thing that was actually really common back then. Um, there was a pick right there at Plymouth Rock where you could just hammer off a piece if you wanted it. You could, wow. <laughs> you could walk into the White House back then um, and basically cut off the drapes and, and walk away. And we have always had this Thing inside of us to capture the places we've been and write that history down for ourselves. And so just like Adi was saying about this caveman sort of thing, about having to tell the story back and forth to, to sort of explain your world, we've also always wanted to keep it in some ways. And so the storytelling can, and, you know, gets into all sorts of nooks and crannies within the, the theme park experience um, that allows us to tap into a lot of these like really emotional needs. I need to remember I was here. So here's this piece of something. And the Daughters of the Revolution saw that, right? So they said, well, why don't we sell things? Why don't we, <laughs> why don't we make some things around here and sell them ourselves and say, hey, why don't you buy this 
instead of ruining our trees and this investment <laughs> that we've paid for. Um, so that also, not only did that preserve the, the site itself, but it also put money back into their investment and helped them preserve it. But then people like, you know, scratch that need. So um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really great ways that people put themselves in those stories um, and keep them and keep them and grow them and change it for themselves. That's so interesting. This idea of, uh, of storytelling extending even to the souvenirs and the gifts and the things that you can take with you out of a themed experience. I, that's Alice, that's something we have never explored in any conversation, the way the way that these things are attached to the way that we're telling stories. And it's been so much more immersive lately with some of the new things coming out of themed entertainment, like uh, Wizarding World of Harry Potter or, or Galaxy's Edge, where you're taking like a, an artifact from these places with you uh, and how they're they're basically fictional objects that you're taking out of those worlds. Uh, and I, I, man, it, it, it never occurred to me that that was something that was being considered at the, des the design level. Like, this is how we tell part of the story of the place. That's, wow, geez, that's really that's, interesting. That's going to have to be its own episode for I sure. I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if, if you need anybody to come talk to you about the history of the modern gift shop, I might be the only one. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> no, that's, but it that's amazing. But it is really cool. And like you're saying, so again, to your question, like that unique relationship, we're also able to give back in some ways. We're able to give you, um, when you get to the end of that story, there are some other ways that you, you get to take, you get to take something else with you. Yeah. Note to self, if I ever become an author to include some kind of a uh, gift shop type thing at the end of the book, uh, because, uh, that, that innovation in itself, uh, so, so well, what you know, can think we... about it. I, you, what you just said made me think, uh, like in a lot of kids' books, they come with a bookmark that's exactly that, or or it has stickers that that match. Like there, there are books, at least for kids, that that we have that are giving kids an, an extra little piece to carry with them or to place someplace else in their lives. Oh, that's that's really wow. true. I've never thought about that. That is, that is fascinating. I definitely had a lot of books like that and stickers all <laughs> over my room. <laughs> <laughs> so many. Yeah, a way, a way to leave a mark on your life with the experience that you've had. And then, and then that this experience was constructed to tell a certain kind of a story. It's like having a representation of the story. That's, wow. Uh, I did not know that themed entertainment had that uh, over so many other kinds of entertainment. Uh, the closest thing I can think of that I've gotten recently outside of a theme park is maybe like a like a special book or brochure with like a movie ticket when I bought like a special screening of something. It was like, oh, it comes with the the scene the book. Yeah, the programmer. But but wow, theme themed entertainment does that in such a more three-dimensional sort of way where you you have so much more agency and choice there. Uh that's Oh man. Um, so, so <laughs> that's one thing that themed entertainment has over the other mediums of entertainment or storytelling that we have. But what can we achieve specifically with themed environments that other kinds of environment or other kinds of storytelling or media have trouble expressing? What specifically can we do with a physical space that nobody else is able to do uh, with their art? Well, I, I think you just nailed it when you're saying agency and choice, that we are able to create immersive experiences that just completely engage you. 
and can engage, you know, all of your senses. Um, you know, and I, I love books and books in, in many ways engage so many of my senses. But when I take you into a book, when I take you into a story, you know, we, <laughs> we can get it all going. You can be experiencing <laughs> it in every way. Uh, and, and something to me that goes hand in hand with that is it's experiencing it together. So, you know, April and I, we could, we could go somewhere and in that time that we're, you know, we're spending that time together and like we're sharing time, we're sharing ourselves, we're communicating throughout the whole experience. And it's, you know, hopefully we've created a pleasurable experience and we're creating a memory that is going to have, you know, it's going to have meaning. We're giving families, you know, social groups, just time to be together and time to explore. Have you, just out of curiosity, have either of you ever been to a theme park alone? Yes. You yes. have? Yeah. yeah, okay. Um, we we do that a lot. You know, if you just have moments outside of a, a meeting or whatever, and you end up like, I'm going to run, you know, run over here and check out this new ride. Getting off a ride alone is a totally different thing. Um, <laughs> waiting in the line alone and getting on faster, amazing. Love it. <laughs> But getting off the ride is like, it's you you stand there and you can watch how everybody groups up and they talk. Oh my God, that was so amazing. Oh, this was, oh, that was my favorite. Oh, I love that. And you're like, uh. Yeah, it's like, isolating. It's, and, yes. and I mean, it's, again, there's also lots that's really fun about going to a theme park alone. But, Absolutely. But you definitely pick up on that shared experience. Um, it's, it's, you know, you, with the books are usually sometimes a little more singular. You pass those on by mm-hmm. speaking. Um, a movie, you might have all seen it at the same time, but those are those things kind of go away quickly too. But like all day immersed in the theme park, experiencing one thing after another, to 80's point, it's it's really amazing how much enjoyment we get from getting off that ride or getting out of that show and talking to each other. And, and when you don't have it, you kind of notice that too. Like, oh. I wish somebody was here. <laughs> I've ridden that ride 40 times, but I still want to talk to somebody about it. Yeah, it's 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 such a uh such a, a physical reaction, right? And it, it, being able to have shared that uh that full experience with somebody, it's hard to explain a theme park ride or attraction like in words. Like, oh, and then mm-hmm. and then we turned left and and then we <laughs> dropped suddenly and uh, you can't really <laughs> describe that sequence of events uh because it's such a body thing, right? It's a really good point. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because what you're describing is my job. <laughs> my job often is to describe to people like exactly that. And then we turned left and suddenly you know, it suddenly comes out. <laughs> it sounds really hard to do. Yeah. Uh, what what a challenge. Do she does a really good job. But it... <laughs> So is that when when you do that, is that in the written form? Is that uh, more a presentational style? Like what what sort of thing uh, prompts that sort of description of of rides from you? Yes, uh, several different several different prompts for several different purposes. Um, Some might be if I'm if I'm working for a client and they need to understand the ride, then I you know, need to give them the story of the ride and it's going to have its its beginning, its middle and end. Uh, they might need the scene by scene description of, of each action, but I have to make sure that it's feeling, that I, that I am giving them the emotion of the experience. So it's it's the craftsmanship of 
of saying, of not using the word suddenly too often. Uh, I, I, I give myself limits on words like that. And I'll even go through and like, like do a finder on my, <laughs> after I've written a document, like how many times did I use that dang word? Okay, <laughs> I'm out. Uh, but it's, it's finding the ways to, to communicate the, the ups, the downs, but while also communicating the emotion. And, and often that has to be written down so people in another country, in another place, so it can be translated, you know, so people can, uh, so they can read it, understand it. Uh, but sometimes I will also present a, a, an emotional journey like that for a client and give a presentation where I'm you know, doing my best to communicate to them. And, and that's even easier because then you have all those wonderful cues that we use as people when we're communicating you know your face and your eyes and your body and your and your tone and your energy and that you know that can help to communicate the vision wow what what an interesting uh just aspect of presenting a theme park ride like as wow just like i writing down in a paragraph something that exists sounds hard enough but writing it down and, and performing it as like a as a concept, that in itself, wow, just, I, Alice, I'm a little mind blown. I need you to take the next question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, to, to um, I guess to continue on kind of a similar thread, um, we talk a lot about on our show about the art of, um, of, of reading the, the space or the ride or even uh, a park as a whole and its relationships to, uh, relationship to audiences as they, uh, as they experience it. Um, how do designers just write the themed space to tell a coherent story? Like, where do you start? Do you start from just an idea? Do you write it down? Is there drawings and, and or little models involved? Like, where where do you begin to tell the story? And and um and how do you keep the audience involved in that uh, in hmm. that process? Hmm, that's that's an interesting question. Thank you. Um, I would. Everybody's going to approach it differently to pace, based upon, you know, like we have artists who are approaching it here and I'm, I'm not a visual artist. Uh, I work with the written word. So, so speaking only for myself, I would say the first thing, one of the first things I try and, and figure out is who lives here? You know, if we're designing a space, who's, whose space is this? Who lives here? And then, then I get to just really have fun and I start to think, okay, well, why? Why did they choose this place? You know, or was it chosen for them? Was it fate? Was it the gods? Was it weather and tidal shifts or tectonic plates? Or like, did the spirit of adventure bring them to this place? Or was it conflict? Were they thrown out of their town? Was there was there war or famine or or beauty? Were there stories that they heard and they were tempted and they were tempted to come here? And they were tempted to dream and they were tempted to hope and they were tempted by the delight. So I try and figure out who and, you know, the who's and the why's are my, are my basis. And then for inspiration, uh, a whole lot of things come into play. Uh, I was working a couple of years ago on, you know, placemaking for, for a new park and, and it was in a different country and I wanted to educate myself uh, about this country so I, you know, did the things you do and read books, but I also went to the, uh, went to the art museum and was looking around and found uh, found a plate that was from this culture from you know several centuries ago, and there was just 
the detail in this plate and the specific um, you know, mythological figures, the way that they were, that their shapes and the way they were formed on this plate just blew my mind. And I stared at it forever. And, and then things just started firing in my head. Uh, and, and it you know, just came out of that plate. I'm looking at this plate and looking in, in their, you know, a plate from their place. And sometimes, you know, uh, another part of it too is, I mean, I mean, we live in we live in the real world, right? So we have to come up with the materials that translate a lot of these things, and a lot of those materials just exist already, right? So it's a matter of finding the things out there that exist and making them work for you. And I mean, our background here is as a traditional architecture firm, and. Um, in our history, we switched over to doing themed attractions, destinations, and, and things like that. But the the architecture and construction world out there still basically the same. And so they'll bring in a lot of materials to us and we'll be like, yeah, that's fine. But do you have anything that looks rusted? Uh, that's fine. Do you have anything that looks like an old barn floor from like 40 years ago? <laughs> like, I, I need very different things than your average architecture firm might need outside of themed entertainment. And so I'm always looking for those things that help tell that story. So like when AD's talking about, um, you know, is this, is it old? Like, who, you know, like who are these people? Did they live on a spaceship? How did they, do they live on like a modern spaceship? Is it top of the line? And this is a very technological society and everything's cleaner or, you know, well-maintained. Is this kind of like a Star Trek kind of situation where it's, it's top of the line, lots of white, lots of molded, you know, things, or is it rusted? Is it a little more Millennium Falcon like, right? Um, how can I pull that across? How do it just as an example, <laughs> uh, how do I, how do I pull all of those things across and how do I use the materials that are available to me? And then of course, there is a ton of, you know, people who specialize in thematic, um, uh, sets and paint, uh, thematic painting, uh, rock work, different other, uh, skill sets like that, that we bring in as well to make things feel like they aren't of this world, but we're using very real of this world materials and using those to give people the impression of you're somewhere new, you're somewhere old, you're somewhere tropical. Um, and some of those things don't exist really. So we have to get clever and figure out new ways to use them. Um, but that's always kind of fun. It's a fun little, it's a fun little task to come up with. Point, at what point in the design process do you, this something I, I was flipping through the, um, got a really nice um, book from PJV destinations called storytelling. Uh Um, And I was flipping through it and I wanted to know at what point in the design process or the early process do you decide um, what emotion you want the audience to feel when you see when you see the place like and and, and what tools and techniques do you use to get like certain emotions across if you wanted somebody to feel like they were, um, you know, like in if you wanted to feel in awe of a place or at home in a place or um, or like you're about to embark on an adventure in a space like what at what point do you decide that emotional impact and um, and, and and yeah and what tools do you do you use to get that across I don't think there's necessarily a point and I think all projects are different um, I've been on a I was on a project where everything was supposed to be spooky and dark and scary and it was it was going to be haunted and it was like that for like six months and then it shifted and it wasn't anymore. <laughs> it wasn't oh. any of those things. 
Um, because at some point the client was like, yeah, I'm just not feeling this anymore. I don't think this is going to play well. We should do, it's more about the spirit of adventure and exploration and, and not this. And so sometimes those things just change a little organically. I mean, maybe you go all in with it and someone goes, you know what? I don't think this is going to play well. And every client is not only every project is different. Every client is different. Their needs might change their perception of what they thought they might've wanted might change while you work through it. Um, test marketing, test marketing, you test, you test it. And someone's like, I don't get it. I don't like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've seen a lot of things that I thought were super clear and super cool and obvious bomb miserably, um, in testing. Some of my best ideas will never see the light of day in my opinion, of course. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's a, it's just really a process. Sometimes we start and we're like, yep, it's happy. And it's happy the whole way through. Um, sometimes we start somewhere else. Um, things come to fruition when you're in a group of people and you're throwing out all these ideas. I mean, we, we work with a lot of really smart people here. There's a lot of really smart and diverse people on, um, on our client teams. And sometimes that stuff comes through while you're brainstorming. Um, and then to your other question about how do you do that? I mean, I think you do it with, like I was saying before, if it's a little more ominous, well, maybe it's rusted, maybe it feels weathered, maybe the light is low, maybe we've built the the ceiling is down lower and you feel a little bit more, you know, hemmed in. And when we want to talk about being like bright or open or celebratory, well, the ceiling goes up, the colors get lighter, the music swells a little bit more. Um, there's, you know, color is a big, is a big, Thing. There's a lot of ways to do that with, with color. Um, and, and so you, you use those little cues to take people through that, that journey. You can do it with graphics. You can do it with props and art and, and elements like that too. Also, sometimes there's some subtleties that we know and we're like really caught up on this beautiful subtlety and nobody's going to get it, um, <laughs> which is... <laughs> Which is also fine, um, but it's a filter that we use. It's a filter and a device that we use the entire time to write a really good story that keeps us in line as the design team, makes us keeps us making decisions clearly and cleanly all across the board. And even if a guest doesn't pick up every single piece, that's okay. If they get the overall feeling and the overall the, the overall feeling that we want them to have from making, then that's good too. I, I think people can sense it if you're just like, oh, we're going to do sad and then we'll make it blue and it'll be <laughs> fine and everybody will understand sad. I then, always make, I always make it <laughs> You always sad. make me sad. When you're just like blowing holes <laughs> in my, in my pockets. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> but it, you know, even if, if the end result is, you know, is not sad, but our job is to have that so rich with so many details that even if what your what your consciousness is aware of is the sad, you know, it's the big emotion, but it's there not because we just slapped some blue on something, but you know, it's in everything from the floor tiles to you know to the characters walking around. It's it's into the the, the shape of the sequins on the costumes. It's it, you know, it's in everything around you, so rich and in so many details that's communicating to you, not just on a superficial level, which will just make you walk away because people are smart and they'll get it when you're just faking them. You know, people need for people to feel it 
Your entire space, your entire place has to be feeling it, you know, deeply. And that comes from, you know, it comes from character and it comes from, you know, the, the emotions of the story you're telling and how things came to be that way. You know, who lives here and why are they there? Yeah, that that really, man, the the connection between the people, the history and the material is I've never thought about material like that before. And now my mind is reeling trying to remember when a material like a floor or a wall or a ceiling like really sold a story to me. And I think it's every time I went to a themed environment, actually, is when that happened. Uh, and it was just done so that you know like you don't you don't want to be drawing attention to it like it it was successful if, if you got that you got that feeling you got that idea you don't need to notice like oh look at that dirt smear over there like <laughs> like and that and and that's an intentional dirt smear it's 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 there because it's telling you the age and the history and the family and the you know the mother doesn't have time to sweep because this is going on with the kids and it, it's telling you the story and you're just feeling it without yeah, one of my favorite things at Manta, actually, is that there are footprints in the sand. There's a sandy beach with a water feature um, in the queue. There are a couple of footprints of the sand, which we put in there intentionally, like somebody was walking around on the beach, you know? Um, it's not a huge part of the story. I'm not even sure how many people see them on a regular basis, but people do see them. They, they notice them occasionally, you know, and are like, hey, there's footprints over here. Um, and one of the great stories is that the concrete guys that were pouring that concrete sand um, on the bank had a contest to decide who had the best foot. Oh my god! <laughs> like who had, who had the best footprint, right? And so then they they took they decided and they took off. And that's how a lot of the concrete design gets done, right? There's some some of the most amazing concrete design right underneath your feet in the theme parks all around the world. And in some ways, you don't notice it because it's so good. But you'd notice it if it wasn't there. It, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, right. The absence details. of theming is is yeah. what I think sets uh, a really good themed attraction apart from uh, a thrill attraction that it doesn't have anything like that or any story being told. Um, right. So they're really feel- weird place to live in, in between, like <laughs> doing so many things that are so super detailed that you don't notice them and then not doing them at all when everyone notices them <laughs> so it's, it's it's weird to try like to do so much and have that end up being this like just it's so immersive it's just background yeah and and you you guys have talked about this uh a couple of times we've gotten really close to grazing this question but i i'd like to dig a little deeper on it um so when you create something so immersive with so many details uh, I suppose it could be a little overwhelming, right? It could, uh, everybody's experiencing this at different levels. Uh, everybody's got different things on their mind. They Maybe they're even at different heights, depending on, uh, you know, how tall they are and stuff like that, or they've got different perspectives. Um, and it's part of your guys's job to make sure that everybody is getting the idea of a story, but it's hard to guarantee that everybody will even have the chance uh, to to get these details, and what do you think about like the ability of audiences to read these places? Is it simply that you give as much information as possible so that everybody gets some of it, and that tells most of the story, or is it that you draw the eye in certain directions? Like, what are our strategies for making sure that 
everybody understands what it is that's happening here. And we're all reading it together uh, in a way that uh, feels more collective than uh, just a, a simple personal experience in a way where everybody has a chance to read. So when we, ex we, we go, if we're going with our group, with our family, with our friends, we're experiencing together, I think it's okay if everybody doesn't see exactly the same thing, feel exactly the same way at exactly the same time. Uh, you know, because we are all different, and we all react to our environments in different ways. Just like in, in education now, we understand that some students are, you know, kinetic learners. Some some kids like really need to, need to be like touching something or or feeling something. Some kids need to be like sitting and focusing. Some kids need to be up. You know, everybody has a different way of, ex of experiencing, not only learning, but experiencing life. So our job as designers is to provide many different ways of interacting and experiencing our spaces, you know, ways that that will you know, that will engage children on some level that will engage adults of varying different ages uh, and and then your question about about heights brings us to something that's so very important which is the American Women's with Disabilities Act and that is such a such a godsend um, that it in, encourages in fact mandates that things be accessible that things be made so that a diversity of people can experience, can enjoy. And I think, I feel like we're even just at the tip of the iceberg of the, of the sense of inclusion now in, in theme parks and in, and in zoos. Like, yes, we, we, think of, we do think about inclusion and we have been thinking about inclusion, but I, I feel like there's so much more that's, that's coming. That's, that's just my instinct is that we're learning so much uh, about how people process, how people experience, that I, I have high hopes for, you know, I love theme parks and zoos as they are right now, but I think in 20 years, they're gonna be blowing our minds away because we're really gonna understand so much more about how to reach people where they are and welcome them and invite them into our spaces. Um, we have the ability to run through a park as somebody, you know, digitally. So we can we can put an entire map, we can make an entire digital model. We, we use physical models sometimes, but now we have the ability to use digital models. We can run through a theme park or ride a ride and we can see what people see. We can um, see what it's like to have a big group of people there. Okay, how many people can actually fit here? How many people are able to take a photo right here? Um, what does it look like if you're five years old? What does it look like if you're in a wheelchair? What does it look like if you're a six foot five adult? We're able to find viewpoints and walk through um, before we ever build anything in real time. And that's really helped part of this process as well. That's awesome. That's that sounds like a really good tool. I mean, in my head, I was picturing little itty bitty like models. Um, but a digital <laughs> model is obviously uh, a digital model gives you so many more um, opportunities to um, to to switch things around and change angles, and that sounds really useful. It also I I want to pull that into into question four a little bit because um, uh, <clears throat> so uh, the next 
thing that we wanted to talk about was um, there's a, a major challenge when we talk about uh, parks, uh, parks as literature or even parks in general. Uh, a, a major problem we've encountered is the access of uh, the idea of access and preservation. When attractions change or close or refurbish, is the experience that they contained is it is it lost forever? Is that a is that a good thing? Is change good? And uh, and now I want to bring in the, the digital models idea. Um, could those digital models be used to help preserve the experience of an original attraction? Or, um, or you know, could there someday be, you know, like a virtual reality experience, this, this ride that closed however, however many years ago? Would that be something that would increase the... Um, like the availability of access and, and preservation or, or or do you think that it's better off if an attraction needs to close that it stays gone? I feel like this is such a loaded question <laughs> and I've been very nervous about the um, closure question. Uh, I feel like I'm very nervous about answering it. Um, it's a controversial and emotional one. Uh, theme park fans are a very passionate group. And they can be yes. your biggest fans or your loudest critics. Um, and uh, so please be nice to me, I of think. Course. Is no, what... of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I love I love history and tradition, and I but I also love the new. And I think that tension is what drives most people today. That's that's what drives most guests to different locations and to different attractions. And as theme park designers, we really have to balance those things with our clients. And those decisions always come from, you know, a lot of thought, a lot of understanding into guests um, and their overall, you know, needs for their park. And, you know, sometimes those things happen for a lot of different reasons, right? They can't be brought up to safety or accessibility standards, kind of like AD was talking about. Um, it has a charm for a very specific group um, that it might not hold for everyone, you know, which is is a thing. Sometimes there's, you know, there's a very specific group of people that love something and kind of swear up and down, like everyone has to do it, you know, but then I talk to like my friend's five-year-old and say, hey, are you going to ride that when you go there? And she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Huh. What is that? <laughs> um, you know, so there's, there's all these things to think about, right? There's all this tension between the old and the new and wanting to do something that's tradition and then wanting to see something that's new. So again, please don't hate me. I'm going to keep going. But like, I mean, we're, we're fans of this stuff too, right? Like we, we go through a lot of these same emotions as well when we're doing this. But um, I was talking to one of our designers here about this very question. He knows a lot of stuff about theme park histories and he was talking about the fact that there's kind of like, you know, there's refurbs, um, refurbishments to an existing ride, which is usually just a way to update, you know, the storyline or the technology, but keeping the original. And essentially you keep it intact, but you dust it off, right? Um, kind of like something like the redhead on Pirates of the Caribbean, um, mm -hmm. changing up her story, right? But it's still Pirates of the Caribbean. Right. And I know some people would, would argue. So again, I'm sensitive to that too. Um, but then you, sometimes you swap out a ride um, or swap out an experience and it's the same basic function or the same show or the same ride, but you overlay a new story because that IP or that story is just not keeping up. Um, and, you know, sometimes a good story, sometimes the story is not always timeless. Like sometimes it changes with the, their different interests and, in, you know, the cultural um, mind. Um, and so sometimes it doesn't realize its full potential or, or what have you. And then closures are the one that, that makes everyone mad. Usually that's usually like, you know, closing Mr. Toad. 
Um, and, and of course, when those things happen, of course, you lose something, at least in like the immediacy, because it only starts to live on in people's minds. Right. Um, of course, you lose something you do. And and I think that it's, you know, it's sad for us, too. Like I said before, like we feel really bad for ruining everyone's childhood um, <laughs> and um, because we're also like we're fans and we're lovers of theme park and its foundations and the history that brought us to this point. Um, but I think one of the really interesting things, and I had never even thought about your idea of, is there a way to keep them all in like a digital library? But one of the things I think is interesting is that a whole other story develops when those things leave. Um, it's kind of the myth and the legend of the park and it gets passed down from generation to generation. And it gives this park a living history. Like it's, it becomes a real city. It becomes a real history. Um, it's like any city anywhere that grows and changes and sometimes it has high points and sometimes it makes mistakes and it has different cultural significance. Um, but this living thing is formed by the people who build it and live it. And it's, that makes it real. Like that gives it this real backstory um, in a way. It's like, it's kind of funny because we've created a lot of stories on top, but then it ends up living a real one underneath. And I, I think people kind of like that. I, I, I do think that there's some fun in passing things on or saying that Easter egg over there in the ride is from this ride that took its place. And this is totally different than, than how my, my dad wrote it, but I wrote it with him and you start to, you start to build your own story, you start to make your own thing. And it actually, I think in a lot of ways adds to that cool, like legend of a place. Um, the idea of being able to keep them all digitally, maybe that could have some, that could have some possibility, especially as a, there might be a sort of standalone experience or museum or some way to kind of like pull those up and say, me and my dad want to ride the Haunted Mansion from 1971 or some way that you could you could pull those those things up in a fun shared experience. Um, but I I do think sometimes things just sort of see their time and they move on and we we grow and we change and um, you have to keep that that ongoing ever going. That is a perspective that. I have never heard but immediately resonated with this idea of the reality of the history of the place lending it a certain specialness that that things have grown or changed or been removed or replaced and that remembrance lending itself to the authenticity of the place I think that's part of why Disneyland feels so specific. I, I saw a piece of merchandise from Disneyland just the other day where it uh, it showed the original pirate ship that hasn't been there at Disneyland in uh, 30, 40, 50 years. And it was like advertising that that had existed as part of the merchandise and that the people who bought the merchandise like knew that it was there and that's why they bought it. It was like oh yeah remember back then when this was like this and the mm-hmm. joy that that could bring versus the sadness of oh it has changed I, I don't know <laughs> I think that, I think that's really interesting and it does remind me of how real places work and wow geez uh, here I was thinking like all things should stay the same and now I'm like wait if we don't change then it never actually grows uh, and that's right. fantastic yeah. 
Yeah, Buddy has always been like that. Buddy has <laughs> since we were since we were children. He's been like, um, like oh no, the original is always better. Why change anything? Uh, remakes are never a good idea. Um, I I have a little bit of that, but I tend to to be a little more on the side of I love I love new thing. I love when new rides get put into old places, and I I make a point to go see. You know when 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 they say when they took down where they changed Tower of Terror into the Mission um, Breakout, um, which I which I really like now, and I liked the old one, but I like the new one. I just like liking things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but this idea that that you can't, I really like the phrase that you use that the um, or the, when you you talked about the shared history that we all have of remembering when it was like this, and that. I think it's really important that new generations as they come in can have start creating their own shared history with each other so that for and and it does it makes the the places that you go to whether it's it's on one coast or another at Disneyland at Universal at a Six Flags at a SeaWorld at a or at your local you know zoo you can remember what you had and pass it on to your kids who then they and their friends have their own version of that same story and and it i i just i think that's that's so important and i i just love it i love that yeah the joy um, of remembering remembering uh and and sharing that too i think is is just really amazing uh the one thing that we run into as as scholars of the medium, if we can be so bold to call ourselves that, uh, is is that somebody will say something like, "Oh yeah, but if you guys had ever rid ridden uh, journey journey through inner space, then you would understand this point." And we have no way of accessing that text, right? And and, mm -hmm. and there's no there's no theme park library we can go to, and the best we have is some scants. Uh, you know, archival footage, maybe. Uh, I have a VHS tape of uh, Disneyland Anaheim in uh, 1980 <laughs> that I can watch <laughs> if I really want to. Uh, and, and so, so that's I think where where we struggle with it more than anything. But the the value of change in these places, I think, is part of what makes the history so uh, fascinating because it is so right. experienced. Right, and your point too about you know. Um, we're in St. Louis. We are just, we're about two blocks away from the Arch and the Mississippi River. And I'm not sure how good your um, overall Disney knowledge is, but there was talk of putting um, a Disney park here. And I, mm -hmm. I have the plans somewhere. I found them once online, but the original, what eventually becomes the Haunted Mansion um, the first plans for that show up in the plan for what I think is Miss... I'm going to call it the wrong thing. Um, anyway, uh, so imagine that for a second, that the Haunted Mansion showed up in St. Louis on the Mississippi River. Wow. Arch, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that didn't happen, right? And that's one of those things that was in the plans. It was in, it was in the, it was, you know, part of its legend Part of its legend is about the fact it didn't happen, and um, and that's not saying that I don't. I, I also love history. I I love tradition. I I am always amazed at the things that our clients tell us. Um, people are attached to 
you know, we can never move that. That has to stay right there because everybody takes their Christmas photo in front of it. You know, I, yeah. I, I'm always amazed at the things that people are attached to. And I truly believe in those. But um, I also think there's a little bit of a, it's fun to know that history. It's fun to know that story. It's fun to tell people like, what if, and can you imagine if that had happened? Um, and then also I think people kind of like, I, I do think people like having the end. They like being able to say, oh, you don't, you have no idea. Like only the cool kids wrote it 20 years ago. <laughs> you don't know. You kids have no idea. Um, and, and then being, having that like insider, you know, like I did it first or I knew them before they were big, that kind of thing. Um, and again, I think that's part of it. It's part of that storytelling and that sort of jovial experience back and forth. Um, and you get to do that with your kids and they'll think their rides are better and, and on and on. And they'll love something <laughs> that they think can't leave. And, and yeah, it's, it's really cool how we pass down those stories and we pass down those experiences and how they change over time. That's incredible. I love it. Well, Alice, it sounds like, unfortunately, our time with our two fantastic guests from PGAV has kind of come to an end. Unfortunately, we have to let them go. But before they go, we want to ask them one final question. Uh, we want to open up the conversation on the Internet like we always do. But we want to invite our guests to ask a, a question of, of you guys, the listeners, of, of what they, they think uh, of what they want to know from a fan perspective. So we're going to go ahead and let them ask those questions. So when we talk about the immersion of story uh, pushing out into things um, beyond the, the ride or the show, a lot of times it happens in retail and food and beverage. So if you have to choose between your favorite kinds of immersion, would you rather have something delicious to eat that's delicious but temporary or something more along the lines of a souvenir that you get to keep and take home with you forever that's a great yeah question. i think i think the the question between experience and artifact is really interesting and i think i think our audience will have a kind of a split decision on it i i have a i have a feeling um uh and and what else do you guys want to know hmm so as a show writer my question is do you enjoy being invited to join the show? Maybe whether that's getting up on stage or being pulled in by some atmosphere entertainers into something fun they've got happening on the street, or do you prefer to just stay behind, stay behind the rope line and watch others in the show? That that I'm question. Sure we'll get a ver- <laughs> I'm sure we'll get a variety of answers to that question. I personally love to be involved. But that's, that's a that's the theater kid in me for oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I I know that I am fifty uh, fifty, and it does depend on how involved and and also just the mood if it, if I'm feeling up for it. So I I can't wait for our audience to uh, ask a couple of those or answer a couple of those questions. Um, but guys, I got to tell you, AD, April, thank you so much for being on this show. This interview was fantastic. Uh, it is so cool that we get to do this. And I, I can't thank you guys enough for giving us your time, your attention. Uh, this is just such an amazing experience for us. Yeah, this was so much fun, you guys. Thank you so much for cutting, you know, for carving out time to talk to us. It means so much. Well, thank you. I think we're both very honored. We had a good time. You had a good time. Yes. Thank you for the invitation. We really appreciate it. And uh, Alice, you and I are going to go do a sign off, but uh, let's uh, say goodbye to our guests. 
Well, Alice, we've said goodbye to our two fantastic guests, April and AD, and man, that was a great interview. That was just so fun, and they're such delightful people, and it's still really, I'm still blown away every day that we have this platform where we get to talk to people like April and AD and, and learn something so, so fascinating about this topic that we love. Yeah, and, and the great part is, listeners, you guys get to hear it too, and then we get to continue that conversation on the internet. On the internet. If you want to participate in a conversation about theme parks with us and respond to these questions that April and AD posed at the end, and uh, and or talk about just anything that you, that you want to talk about, you can always find us on Twitter. You can find the show at Happy Places Pod, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Alice White THP for those happy places. <laughs> and you can find me at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Remember, Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. And you know what, Alice? I think there's also an even better place, an even cooler way to get in touch with us and to have longer conversations about theme parks. And that place is the Those Happy Places Discord. Yes, we have a Discord server. If you are on discord or if you'd like to be on discord where you can talk to us without any sort of character limit whatsoever you can send us a message on twitter or send us an email at thosehappyplaces at gmail.com and we will add you to this discord server where we have so many conversations going on all the time about park food about universal studios uh and just general whatever is on our minds that day uh, and and you can join those uh, yeah join those communities send us an email send us a Twitter message however you want to get in contact with us we'll add you to that conversation and there's another conversation on that Discord server that we should tell you about it is the Patreon exclusive Passholder Lounge yeah if you join us on Patreon at a certain level you can join the Passholder Lounge which is an exclusive Discord chat uh, channel yeah. <laughs> a- a Discord chat channel that uh, is just for people who support the show monetarily at patreon.com slash those happy places. Alice, we are so thankful for anybody who supports us, be it through the Patreon or through just word of mouth, being out there talking about the show. Um, and we should say a special thanks to Charles Gustine of the Iconography Podcast, who supports us at the uh, D ticket level. Uh, and we say his name at the top of every episode because he deserves it. We say his name at the end of every episode because we're forgetful and Charles is the best. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and yeah, thank you, Charles. And, to, uh, you know, anybody wants to check out patreon.com slash those happy places. If you join us there, there's also many episodes for your perusal. I've posted a couple of blog posts. You can see all sorts of content there. So, yeah, that's patreon.com slash those happy places. Hey, buddy, tell me about the music that you put in this episode. Right. So I love to add music to our episodes. All of the music that you heard during the show was by Kevin McLeod. You can find all of that music at incompetech.com. It's all available under a free uh, attribution 4.0 Creative Commons license. Thank you so much, Kevin McLeod, for doing that and giving your music to creative people out there to use. Now, yes. Alice, there's also the matter of the theme music. Our theme music, which is Golden Gate by the California Feet Warmers featuring Phil Album. It's an awesome song by awesome people. 
who do great things over at CaliforniaFeedWarmers.com. Yeah, and you know what, Alice? We are awesome people who do great things, and I could never do it without you, so thank you so much for doing this episode with me. Buddy, you are a gentleman and a scholar, and I don't know where I'd be without you. Uh, Thank you so much. And to everyone out there, thank you for listening, and we hope you return to those happy places. 